check, power on. All systems go. All systems go. The ship had flaws, but we fixed them though. Now the whole multiverse is our victims, yo. Engine check, power on. All systems go. All systems go. The ship had flaws, but we fixed them though. Now the whole multiverse is our victim, yo. We out here five billion, another adventure. Taking Mother Nature and loving a tender. As we break through, we're into the heavens. Welcome to Dimension 11 Hit the thrusters to blast past clusters of us As I mustered enough for my strength to rupture the dense atmosphere Now Zack is here smoking, OG Stardust and I cracked a beer open Blue moon shining as we exit the galaxy Homer wrote well, I respected the biology But this alright to see across the universe Watch a slot of beats and change the game through a burst And if you were wondering, we're plundering Every planet in sight once again so hide your kids, hide your wife, don't try to fight Earth should ride all night, star phase inside of tight Circle when your solar system from the highest heights When a ship lands, you'll be blinded by the light Like Springsteen, cause we swag to the maximum Diamond NASA rims with the chrome and back of them Stardust, Ziga, and still my man is here too Star phase coming to a planet near you Engine check, power on All systems go, all systems go The ship had flaws, but we fixed them though Now the whole multiverse is our victims, yo Engine check, power on All systems go, all systems go The ship had flaws, but we fixed them though Now the whole multiverse is our victim, yo Yeah, I'm off in the star ocean Open doors and close them wormholes I implode them, lock them frozen Wish I had a new past for my old ones Linking future and past And my astral soul gun Then blasted like a double helix straight from my mecca Be back to the future Right in the sector Fight a couple aliens But they can't contest On my world from the west Our phased I am blessed Soul child that drifts through dead space to pitch black chronicles I search but find waste Too much watery flows from the main star stream Drown the solar system bright, we can't breathe And we're blind Found the underground, the dark depths of space Where you can't hear a sound But here's the transmission for a time coming Fifth off in the galaxy, two kings have been summoned Engine check, power on All systems go, all systems go The ship had flaws, but we fixed them though Now the whole multiverse is our victim, yo Engine check, power on All systems go, all systems go The ship had flaws, but we fixed them though Now the whole multiverse is our victim, yo Greetings, Earthlings. I hope this transmission finds you well. I hope you're all doing well. I've been in a throwback mood lately. That song was from my project with OG Me uh, 11. Hopefully we can get another project together at some point. But that is one of my favorite projects I've done. It holds up well. And um, I have another jam from there later in the show. So look forward to that. That one is called Liftoff, as you may have been able to guess. <laughs> well, no, I guess it's not It's not completely clear, but yes, it's called Liftoff. And on that note, I'd like to announce I'm in the early stages of putting together a new album. I'm working with a great producer 
Uh, it's kind of a throwback to the old school one producer, one MC albums back in the day, you know, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, I have over 700 unused songs. There's a lot of depressing ones, but we will find a balance. Yeah, I want to make I want to make a great album for me, for the people. I want to salvage this year somehow if this album has the power to do that. So hopefully we can do that. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. And speaking of that, I just realized that the album that I have selections from this show had uh well it had two MCs and the one producer OG me which I, I mean I, I had input on the stuff but he was basically the producer of everything and I guess we both had input on like what we were picking what we were gonna sample and all that but I, hats off to him for creating a, a nice little album there and I, this is the perfect opportunity to shout out his podcast the Growler Hour. So make sure you check that out. It's on all your streaming services. They've shouted out me a couple of times. I appreciate that. And uh, I know they tune in. So thank you guys for your support. And um, I appreciate you. <laughs> and you know, uh, it, it's been an interesting week. I, there was <laughs> this clip that I'm about to play. It's just, it's, uh, <laughs> it has just made me laugh a lot. And I don't know, not everyone has the same sense of humor as me. I'm a little weird sometimes when it comes to my sense of humor, but it's just Mike Pence. And apparently he's just he's just a giant meat lover. So I, I think that's all I need to say. <laughs> Senator Kamala Harris said she would change the dietary guidelines of this country to reduce the amount of red meat Americans can eat. Well, I've got some red meat for you. We're not going to let Joe Biden and Kamala Harris cut America's meat. <laughs> oh my God, I can't, I can't take you, man. The it's just the fact that he's shouting about meat for some reason is just so hilarious to me because I don't think I've ever. I mean, to be fair, I haven't heard a lot of Mike Pence speeches. I don't like sit up late at night like, oh, I wonder what wonder what Pence is talking about. But uh, just hearing him like so passionate about this meat is just hilarious to me. And I don't think he realized how dirty it sounded when he said, like, I got some red meat for you. <laughs> it's just like he, he's just so straight edge that, that he didn't even realize that that sounds like <laughs> very sexual and uh <laughs> oh man it just it makes me laugh like i just i've been playing it over and over again and i can't stop laughing at it it's just it's too hilarious maybe you know i think we'll do a clip breakdown right here so let's break it down senator kamala harris said she would change the dietary guidelines of this country to reduce the amount of red meat americans can eat I love how the crowd just boos like something that doesn't really sound like that wild of like a thing to do. Like, I mean, meat is like growing cattle, <laughs> like whatever you want to call it. Doing that is not it's never been the greatest thing for the environment. So it's kind of like funny that these people are just like, boo, like boo, any type of regulations, right? Any type of like, I don't want the government stepping into my bit. Like I get it. But at the same time, it's like, <laughs> 
there are a lot of bad effects of this meat on the environment. <laughs> so, so far, not so bad, but let's continue. Well, I've got some red meat for you. Okay, now we've definitely gotten weird at this point. <laughs> and I like how the, the crowd laughs, like the crowd gets it. I don't think he gets it. I don't think, I, like, I honestly don't think that Mike Pence meant to make it sound like he was going to sleep with Kamala Harris, but he did. <laughs> and it's just, like, it's just funny how oblivious he is. That's that's what makes me laugh about that part of the clip. So let's continue. We're not going to let Joe Biden and Kamala Harris cut America's meat. <laughs> Apparently, Mike Mike Pence is against circumcision. Who knew? No, just this whole thing is just man. Like, why? Why is he shouting? We're not gonna let Joe Biden and Kamala Harris cut America's meat. Like it just—it so sounds like he actually has mad cow. <laughs> like he probably actually needs to cut down on the red meat. But it's just—I <laughs> don't know if you if y'all will find it as funny as I did. But man, I was just laughing at it because it's just like—is this real? It just doesn't feel like a real thing. It's just so funny to me. <laughs> Uh, but um, on this, on that note, Mike Pence doesn't realize that we are actually moving towards a meatless world. You know, there's this beyond and impossible and, and guardine and all that. Like there's so many more options than there used to be. I was a vegetarian for two years, like 10 years ago. And um, there really was not a lot of options for us, <laughs> us vegetarians. No, there wasn't. I'm not a vegetarian now, but I, I, I probably will get back to it one day. But just like <laughs> there just weren't a lot of options. I remember eating a lot of bean and cheese burritos like, you know, because I was a broke like high school slash college kid at the time, you know, and, and there really wasn't a lot for me to eat. Like no restaurants had stuff. I It's not like I, I could really... I, like I could buy food, I guess, but I was young and I was still living at home at that time. Like I think I started senior year of college or no of high school and then ended freshman year of college. So somewhere around that, <laughs> but um, it was a tough time. You know, I really tried to find things to eat, but there was not, the menu was not <laughs> very varied at that point. So <laughs> now there's a lot more options and like all fast food places have some type of vegetarian option. Like before you couldn't really do, like where are you going to get fries? That's all you could really get. And I'm not saying fast food is the best thing to eat, but it just seems like there's, there's more of an emphasis on it. There's more recipes out there that people actually like use. And I don't know. It just seems like we're moving more and more towards a, a meatless world. I'm sure there will always be meat consumed, but it's moving more and more towards people eating less meat. And it's not a bad thing for you. Like a lot of the these viruses have been spread by people eating meat so or by those conditions. So honestly, at the end of the day, it's not really a bad thing for us to eat less meat. Like... There's a lot of, you know, all the all the, um, the cows with the methane emissions and all that. Like, it really does have an effect, and people don't realize that. In addition to the space that it takes to house these animals, and, and I mean, just, just, like, killing these animals, like, obviously is not ideal, right? I think even meat eaters 
would say like if there were a way to not kill the animal and still eat the meat they would probably go with that right <laughs> i don't think people like need the animal to be killed <laughs> not that that's possible but you know what i mean it's just uh it's just one of those things it's like something that people have been used to for so long but it's starting to change more and more and really in the last decade i've seen a lot of that you know and that's one thing that i've, I've mentioned on um the Harmony Politics podcast, shout out to Harmony Politics, uh, is that I think in the next few decades, like we're really going to see a conversion to a lot less meat eating. And it's it would be a smart idea to invest in those companies like Beyond and, and Impossible and any of those other companies like that make these meatless products. I think it would be great for, for the future. You know, I, I really think that that's going to be a booming business and it already kind of is. So, yeah, uh, we have... Pedro on the show again, four-time Golden Glove champ, and more importantly, three-time Life in Zero Gravity guest. So, Pedro Fernandez, the legendary boxing figure, a combat sports figure, really. Uh, he's going to be on. He's, we're going to have a different type of interview today, though. We, we normally talk a lot of boxing. We're not going to talk that much boxing today. A little bit, but we're, we're going to focus on other things and i'll let you see what those are or if you read the description you probably already see because i do i am pretty specific with these descriptions <laughs> so yeah um enjoy the show i love you all i love all my listeners i appreciate you spread the love and stay tuned oh yeah i almost forgot by the way it is my birthday on August 21st, so this will be my last show before my next birthday. Uh, if you want to wish me a happy birthday before you, after you listen to this, then feel free. <laughs> not going to be a great birthday this year. Had a great birthday last year, but this year is not going to be great. But anybody who wants to wish me a happy birthday, you could help brighten my day a little bit. So thanks in advance. <laughs> Okay, damas y caballeros, ladies and gentlemen, we have Pedro Fernandez here, the infamous host of Ring Talk Live Worldwide, which you can find on iHeartRadio and and, uh, and Anchor and, and all the services, right? You can find Ring Talk yeah, Worldwide. Yeah, you, you, you can find it everywhere, but it's 7-Eleven. <laughs> yeah, I'm... Well, I, I enjoy the show. I mean, I'm a little biased. I, I, of course, I've been on the show, but it I I, I find it uh, very entertaining. So keep up the good work, sir. Well, the idea is to entertain, piss people off, and inform people. And if I can do a little bit of the three, I think I've done my job. I'd say so. Well, I think you succeed in doing that. <laughs> Well, you know, we're gonna uh, say often, I mean, often, imi often imitated but never duplicated, baby. Ring talk live worldwide. Right. And how long have you been on the air now? With thirty-seven years. Know, 30, just for the thirty-seven years. Thirty-seven years next month. Oh man! Well, congratulations on that. That's no easy task. <laughs> Normally, when I've had you on, we've talked a lot of boxing, but I was kind of shifting. I was kind of shifting it a little today, so I wanted to ask you about your career with the SFPD. 
Go ahead. How did you get into policing in the first place? Some cops slapped me around when I was a kid, and I realized this is not the way it's supposed to be done, and I thought I could do a better job of it, so I stayed out of trouble when I was a juvenile. My friends were stealing cars and doing that kind of crazy stuff. I stayed out of that. Um, and believe it or not, the policeman that slapped me around ended up working, ended up doing my physical for me at the police academy gym. So after I didn't say nothing before I got sworn in, but after I got sworn in, I said to him, hey, you punk ass chump. Do you remember that time when you and Waller slapped us around at Holly, uh, Holly Park? And he goes, huh? Huh? He played stupid on it, but he knew exactly what time it was. Oh, man. <laughs> That's that's a pretty crazy. I'm surprised that he was still working at that time. No, I mean, I, it, he did this in '74, and I came on the department in '81, so he, okay. he 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 was still around. But they had transferred him from okay. plain clothes. They transferred him from plain clothes to downtown. I also knew Dave Toshi, who was a Zodiac killer, uh, police officer, the inspector for the SFPD, and. Um, he was an idiot. In fact, I, I think he may have let the the, uh, the Zodiac just go out of his own incompetence. Oh, man. <laughs> That's, you know, I, w I actually was planning to ask you about the Zodiac. Did you ever investi investigate the Zodiac? I'm, I'm pretty much I'm pretty much into the Zodiac right now. You know, I do my JFK, my RFK, my MLK political assassinations of the 60s. But one of the areas in which I'm very interested in being a former policeman and a licensed California private investigator is true crime. True crime is the ultimate. I mean, who wants to read something about fiction, man? When there's true when there's real, I mean, would you want to read about the great bank robbery from some guy that wrote a book about it in his head? Or would you rather like read about the real bank robbery? You want to read about the real bank robbery. So I'm into true crime. Yeah. Um, and I've studied the uh, different aspects, some of the cryptographs that the Zodiac put forth. And I was almost convinced that it was Arthur Lee Allen of Vallejo, California. He died in 1991. He took a polygraph and passed it. It wasn't him. But I was almost convinced it was him in 1991 uh, when he died. And now, some, what, 30 years later, um, I've changed my mind to an extent. And um, I think there were possibly two Zodiac, more than one person perpetrating the Zodiac um, role. And I also think that the Zodiac, and I also think the Zodiac was tied in with the, with the, uh, with the Manson killings. And I also think that he was tied in with the, the kidnapping of all those kids from Chowchilla, California, where they kidnapped that busload of kids in 1975 or 76. And um, they found them up here underground, buried underground in a, uh, in a place in Alameda County. But these, these rich guys, these rich, I mean, these guys were filthy rich guys. And we're talking about guys like, um, if you put them up there, guys like, uh, the guy that owns Microsoft, I mean, that kind of money, that kind of California money back in the seventies had some type of murder program going on here in the United States. Art Linkletter's son, people remember Art, Art Linkletter, William Weston, the author was put together, meh, some, some good writings, which may tend to, uh, implicate Art Linkletter's son in, in the in Zodiac murders. He died in 1980. Um, but my favorite guy right now in the Zodiac is a guy named Don. Oh, God, I can't think of his last name right now. The same, Don Cheney. I was thinking of Dick Cheney. Don Cheney, just like the uh, former vice president, 
he was the guy that spilled the beans on Arthur Allen early on. He went to the cops and said, Arthur Allen wanted to do this and Arthur Allen wanted to do that. And, and um, I am of the opinion that uh, he was, he was the actual Zodiac guy. He at least, at least I think he was the guy that was in up in at Lake Berryessa when he shot that couple. Cause one night the Zodiac shot a couple and he sat there and he talked with them for 15 minutes before he killed them. Okay. Oh yeah. And, yeah. And, and that is, um, and that's, so I, I'm thinking that it's, and there's a couple of, there's a couple of other authors out there. One guy said he, he thought his father was a Zodiac and, and I listened to all their stories. I was going to put together a Zodiac radio. So, um, I listened that to all would their be stories. Yeah, it, it would, but I've come down to the conclusion that, um, that it was a cult, that it wasn't just one that would guy. That kind of makes sense. Well, yeah, I that, mean, that would make sense. Yeah. Zach, Zach, this guy, Art Linklater, had the weirdest glasses in the world. One ear was lower than the other ear. Okay. So he had to have custom glasses made for him, right? Guess what they yeah. found on the guess what they found on the floor in the front room of the Charles Manson house? The same glasses. Okay. But because Art Link because Art Linklater was a it was a, a multi-billionaire. I mean a multi, 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 multi-billionaire in the sixties, in the seventies. So that's what kind of money these people these guys were throwing around. Okay. And the the uh, the link letter uh, Art uh, Linklater's son, it was John, John, I think it was John. Anyway, he, um, he, was in, he was in the areas at the time, as was Arthur Lee Allen. Arthur Lee Allen lived like five miles away from Lake Berryessa, where the uh, five to seven miles away from Lake Berryessa and Vallejo, where a couple of the attacks took place. So um, a lot of circumstantial evidence points to Arthur Lee Allen. But um, I'm of the opinion that um, it wasn't him. That he wanted, that he, that he loved the attention and the adulation, because he was a convicted child molester. He had his issues, um, but he loved the adulation. Like every once in a while, somebody knocked on his door. Hey, are you the Zodiac? You know, I mean, outside of that, nobody would knock on the motherfucker's door. So yeah, so so, so he sort of got engrossed with being the so-called Zodiac, the lead Zodiac suspect. And the only man, the only man that really gave us most of the information on Arthur Arthur Lee Allen was was his friend Don. Uh, Don Cheney. So um, I've got my suspicions are are that Don Cheney was involved with this, but that Linklater's son was involved with this, that the three guys that were arrested for the Chowchilla kidnappings of when they, ch- when they kidnapped 25 school children back in 1976, one of them is still in jail. Um, that I think I think was all part of like, it, it, you know, the Hells Angels is a, is, is a big group. It's not just one guy. You know, it's just not one guy. And I think that the the Zodiac thing was a cult, per se, of maybe less than 50 people, in the, in the, maybe more. But, but I was thinking maybe a cult of less than maybe 50 people in the state and that they they um, perpetrated crimes. And, I mean, why would guys, listen to this, I mean, the Chowchilla kidnappings, and people don't really know what happened was, I guess it was the last day of summer, summer school in 1976, I believe, yeah, 76. So the bus driver, you know, you good old bus driver, he gets all the kids on the bus, like 40 kids on the bus. We, he drops a couple of kids off in, in Chowchilla down there in Southern California in, in the Far Valleys. And he drops a couple of kids off. And then he drives a couple of miles later 
And before he knows it, there's a car going alongside him with a rifle pointed out the window at him. Okay? So this rifle is pointed out the window at him. The guy that's pointing the rifle out the window has got gray hair. Okay, he's got gray hair. Some of these guys, some of these guys involved with the kidnapping wore disguises. One of them wore a pillow in, in the front of his shirt to make it look like he was fatter and heavier than he was. I mean, kids can pick shit out. You know, you got 25 kids here watching. You're going to get some good information out of these kids. Okay, they watched his whole yeah. kidnapping go down. And, um, and so did the bus driver. So when they got out of this rock quarry where they were hidden in Alameda County, it turns out it was owned by these billionaires from Santa Clara County over where the Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg's neighbor, I can't remember the guy's name right now, but it's Zuckerberg's neighbor that owns all that property over there that, that, that his son, his two sons and a friend were convicted in the child chili kidnapping. But, but what I'm telling you right now, and for the listeners out there, was these guys were never in Chowchilla. They were never oh, there. Wow. So, so they took wow. the fall. They took a lifetime sentence for somebody else. That's how heavy this cult is. Yeah. The cult thing does make sense the more you talk about it. Like the it does seem like there's more than one person involved with the with the killings, you know, because I remember there's inconsistency consistencies with some of the letters and things like that that they were sending it seemed like it was like more than one person no no the letters the, the true zodiac letters were um except for the one that my former colleague dave tashi an inspector with the san Francisco police department uh i think he wrote his own letter to himself or some shit like that i mean that's how fucking nutty he got into this and i'll never forget here's a good one i'm working plain clothes arresting bad guys in hunter's point during the crack crack epidemic of the 80s right and Tashi came on the tel- yeah. Tashi came on Tashi came on the radio. I think he identified himself as as uh, as Unit Four Four Two. Anyway, but whatever unit number was, but he was with the pawn shop detail there. He had been bounced out of homicide because of that bullshit he pulled coming up with the fake letter for the Zodiac. So they put him on the pawn shop detail, which meant you got to go go look for hot eight track players and that kind of shit. Okay, in the eighties, right? So he goes. Basically, he goes, uh, and I'll say this in English, it's not police language, but I'll say, uh, Dave Tashi is here at 2424 Mission Street for the, for the, for the assignment. So he says, okay. So then I get, on the, I get on the radio and go, I can't believe you went from the Zodiac Killer to catching 8-track tapes. <laughs> it's a bit of a, a, a demotion, isn't it? <laughs> well, he brought, that, he brought that on himself, you know, but... Yeah, I think it was. The, I think the Zodiac thing was a syndicate. I'm not trying to say that there were more than one person at the killings. I'm just trying to say that there was a group of people involved with this. And and you know, um, the uh, and, and to add insult to injury, those glasses I talked about that were found at the Charles Manson and where they were found at the chair in the Sharon Tate house, um, they were prescription glasses from somebody who's very nearsighted, as was Mr. Linklater. And as I said, Mr. Linklater's ear was lower on one side than the other. And get this, the doctor that made up the, the doctor that made the prescriptions for the glasses was killed three weeks later. He was murdered. His, his name was Otta. He lived somewhere in Southern California in a house designed by some uh, really famous designer. But he, uh, he, he carved a house out of the side of a hill and some environmentalists didn't like it. And um, they killed... They killed Professor Ada, his daughter, um, his wife, and their assistant. 
and they threw them all in the swimming pool. So the guy that prescribed the glasses is dead a couple of weeks after the, the Tate Blanc-Bianca killings, and they never tied it together. Bugliosi, uh, the prosecutor, who I have absolutely no respect for whatsoever, none. He's a, the epitome of a piece of shit. Um, Vincent Bugliosi was the prosecutor in the Charles Manson case down there in Los Angeles. Um, he, he knew that these glasses belonged to somebody else, that, that there was somebody at the crime scene that they could not account for. Okay. And he didn't want, he didn't, he didn't want to go anywhere near that because he thought that maybe if that was the case, that the defense would say, well, you know what? None of these guys did it. The person with the glasses did it, you know? So that's why Bugliosi, who wrote a horrible JFK book too, he should be, listen, if ever there was a guy that I could dig up and slap around for being an asshole, he'd there'd be a long list of them, (laughs) but Bugliosi would be on the list. Oh man, that is you know the um, the glasses. That's a very interesting characteristic. So it's very uh, it, it does make sense that that um, that that would be something that would help identify whoever did it because that's not a common thing to have an ear one ear lower than the other like that. One, one ear lower than the other, and they're super prescription glasses. Not only were they glasses, they were plastic. And there was there were plastic prescription glasses, which back in 1967 and 68, 69, that shit was rare. The only one they had them were like people who were involved with contact sports, maybe, you know, or in, in, in other words, they weren't as prevalent as it is today. Yeah, for sure. That's well, I, I mean, I, I am interested in that case. Like, I, it's always fascinated me, the Zodiac case, because they, as far as I know, they still don't know exactly who who it was or like who's behind it right no they don't but like i said they they've um they've approached it listen the santa monica police won't work with the san francisco police san francisco police don't want to work with the vallejo police these guys are all assholes if they'd have got together and combined their thoughts and put their program put their put their cards on the table i think this guy would have been caught okay and they just they just it don't you say it's it's like um it's like the FBI. It's like when you have a government thing. You got three government agencies fighting over the same thing. You had all these three police agencies fighting for glory, you know, and they, they didn't want to be embarrassed and, and this and that. And it turned out to be a lot of ego and bullshit. But I thought they could have caught him um, had they not. In 1969, when he killed Paul Stein, the uh, the uh, cab driver out on Cherry Street here in San Francisco. I'm actually in South San Francisco. In San Francisco, when he killed that William Stein. Uh, the, uh, Mr. Stein, the cab driver, um, the police saw him. He was seen afterwards. And the people that, that saw him kill those people, they called the cops. Or they saw him shoot, shoot him in the back of the head. They saw him cleaning the blood off the side of the car, the cab in his head, the Zodiac guy. And they, when they went to the police department, the police department came out with a description of a black man, a Negro male, adult Negro male. And there wasn't, it wasn't an adult Negro male. It was a white guy. So the police came within, they, the police came within 30, 35 feet of catching them. Oh, so, so the, wow. How did they get the description? Because off? some, obviously some dispatcher, either, I don't want to use that kind of language, but um, uh, either the, either the person answering the phone took it wrong. Listen, back then only black people committed crimes anyway. As don't far you as understand? The 
far as the, as far as the police were concerned, only black people committed crimes back then anyway. I mean, if no. you look at what happened yesterday in Santa Clarita, California, I want to go off subject here, Santa Clarita, California, two black kids and a white kid are being chased by some, some, uh, some Hispanic alcoholic with a gun or a not with a knife. He chased them around the neighborhood. So they call the Santa Clarita Sheriff's Department. The Santa Clarita Sheriff's Department shows up. One of them has an AR-15 in his hand, cuts out of the car, points it at the kids, detain, detains the victims for 30 minutes in the back of a police car. You know, I wish I could say I was surprised, but that stuff happens like way too often. Well, it's it's like this, bro. I said on my Facebook page yesterday, I said, you know, um, I spent eight years with the San Francisco Police Department, some of the nicest times of my life, but I'm ashamed of being an ex-policeman, the way police behave nowadays. I'm sorry to hear that. I mean, but, but I got to give you credit for actually being a able to say that and not just like back in the blue you know like some a lot of cops it's like a fraternity so they feel like they have to stick together and all that you know yeah but you don't get it most of those guys they got a badge because they needed to be bad i was a bad motherfucker before i got the badge <laughs> that's i know that's that's right <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just i'm just being tell i mean truthful i'm being truthful i mean um, I boxed. I never lost a street fight. Lost met boxing matches. Never lost a street fight. Never got in any trouble. Um, I wanted to become a policeman. That was my dream. That was my goal. But after eight years with the police department, um, I don't like the lifestyle. I, I wasn't part of the lifestyle. I used to smoke weed. Those guys were drinking. I mean, it was a it was a totally we were, we were like totally different parts of the planet. You know, we. Yes. Did, they they be drunk all the time, you know. I'd be stoned all the time, and but you know I'm functioning. They're not. Yeah, that's a, it's a lot more. It's a lot easier to function when you're smoking. I would say. Yeah. So it makes sense. <laughs> so what was what did people generally think of police? Like when you became a policeman, what was like the general attitude? Um. Well, I mean, the pig thing was so prevalent. You know, people were still calling you pigs. Um, yeah. But I think I, I think I set a bit of a precedent because I can't find anybody else that can can uh, that has the same resume as myself. In that, I never got a citizen's complaint that was justified and that was ever left levied against me. In other words, I mean, you, I was hustling and arresting more people in Hunters Point than anybody, and I wasn't getting complaints. And yet, other guys are getting complaints weekly. Why? My lieutenant asked me one day. He goes. You know, he goes, you're bringing some bad dudes in here, man. He goes, you never get complaints. He goes, I said, because I treat them like, I treat them like human beings. You know, one guy, Zach, he was going to jail. There was no doubt he was going, he was going to go to jail for three years, three years straight. Okay. Yeah. He was, he, he was sentenced and he skipped his, uh, his jail date. He didn't want to go to jail, blah, 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 blah. So I find him and there's like a hundred thousand dollar warrant. So it's hundred thousand dollar warrant, no bail warrant. Um, so I swear I find him. I found him out off Third Street. So what did I do? Took him to his house. Had his daughter come down and kiss him before he went bye bye. Well, that makes a difference if you you know a, a lot of a lot of police don't treat people like humans. So doing well, stuff no. like that, I'm sure you know. that's that's a, that's above the call. I mean, yeah, that was, it's above the call. And another time, a guy was going to jail for a long time, and. Um, he asked me, could I have a cigarette? And I said, yeah. So I 
stopped. I, I, when he got out of the car at the county at the downstairs, I defied the rules. I let him smoke a cigarette before he went upstairs. I probably could have gotten some trouble for that. Okay. But the bottom line was this yeah. guy was going away for 15 or 20 years. He didn't give me a bad time. Why, you know what I'm saying? I can afford him this little bit of luxury. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, a, a lot of people could benefit from just treating people more like humans in general, I would say. So to do that as an officer, I think it's it like sets a, a good precedent. Yeah. Well, I, I just I got out of the car. People knew me um, when I pulled people over for tickets. They usually knew my name when I walked up to the car. I said, I'm like, oh, man, I said, Leroy, what the, what the fuck, Leroy? Left turn, no left turn. Man, I'm sorry, Pac-Man. I said, you got the kids in the car, too? Yeah, man. I'm sorry. I said, man, fuck, get going. And, and send them on his way. But And you pull over a family in a car, like a black family with the mother's driving, and the car's not registered. Well, the reason why the car's not registered is she hasn't got enough money to register it. Okay? Yeah. So... I'm going to give her a ticket. It's going to cost her $200 on top of the registration. Does this make any sense at all? No, I mean, it's sad to, to, you know, it's good that you had that humanity, you know, to recognize that. Well, I, listen, I still feel I have a sense of humanity. I have a homeless guy that I try to feed during the week and on the weekends. And I, I give my money directly to the poor. I don't go through a middleman or nothing like that. I'll buy a pizza and have it double cut and find a homeless guy on the street and give him a pizza. You know what I mean? Great. That, that's and, great. Thing to and do. you know what's you know what's messed up, Zach, is I've given people stuff. You know what they said to me? Girls, living, what do I have to do for it? Oh man. You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's the kind of position they've been put in before. You know where I'm coming from, right? Yeah, no, I get it. But yeah, it's sad. So, yeah. So anyway, yeah. I, I Listen, the homeless situation in California is, is we have more homeless people here than the state, probably by 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 times. And in 1968, when Ronald Reagan became president, became governor, he opened up all the state asylums and let Mason, basically all the nuts out because he didn't want to pay for them. They were, pay, they were a burden on the state to pay for it. Okay. So they got released. And in, in 1980, he was voted president of the United States in 1982, Diane Feinstein, the current senator from California, current longtime senator, was then the mayor. And she, she put out an order that we count the homeless people in the city. I said, what do you mean count the homeless people? I said, she goes, she, and they put in a directive, count the homeless people, go to, play, go to different parks, go here, go there. So we counted them. That's when we started counting homeless people was in 1982. Uh, it wasn't no coincidence that Ronald Reagan had become president in 1981 and, let, and, and decided to slash federal budgets and let all these people out. Because if you look down in East L.A. or you look in San Francisco or you look in Oakland, you can drive down the street and you can say to yourself, there are a certain amount of people, there are certain people out here that don't belong on the street. They can't handle themselves. They can't take care of themselves. They're mentally, they don't, you know, you see people. Um, with one shoe on, walking against traffic, um, with their zipper down, and they're in there. These are people that have serious problems, okay? And we need to address that. We don't need, we don't, we don't need to, like that, that, with that trillion, that $3 trillion tax cut we gave to the rich people about a year and a half ago here in this country. And now they're talking about the, uh, 
the president's talking about getting rid of the, uh, the Senate went on vacation for a month. So as far as any stimulus money is concerned, we're not going to see any stimulus money for at least five, six weeks and uh, get another stimulus check. And what kills me is that the people in Canada, each person in Canada is getting $900 every two weeks. Guess what? Nobody's bitching up there. Yeah, they seem to be handling it much better up there than here. Listen, for sure. Everywhere is handled better than here, man. We have a Mickey Mouse president. I told you what that POS, uh, I told you the time that, that Don King introduced me to him in that office in, in 19, August, in July of 1989, and Don King beat him up for 189 motel rooms and a $200,000 yeah. Sugar Ray Robinson party. And all that kind of stuff. He was no negotiator. And, and God rest his soul, um, Mark Edis, his former attorney, who was my good friend, Mark like good weed. Um, he uh, <laughs> he uh, he was my go-to for the for the Trump people. I didn't need to go. I didn't need to have anything to do with Donald Trump or any of his family. You know what I'm saying? So all my my relationship with Mark Edis. And Mark Edis died in 1992 in a helicopter crash from New York City to Atlantic City. Trump was supposed to be on the plane. I mean, on the helicopter, he missed it. Crazy. That's crazy how. That could have changed history, right? Yeah, what could have changed history was if FBI Director James Comey didn't come out with that letter three days before the election saying that Hillary Clinton was some type of suspect in a crime. I mean, not that I'd be licking Hillary Clinton's boots or anything like that, because I think she's a she's a see you next Tuesday type of woman. Um, and you know what that means? Yeah, I'm familiar. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so, but I, and, 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 and she's, she's hated, she's hated. And when I predicted on the radio in 2016, that this guy was going to win, not because he was popular, but because she wasn't, everybody laughed at me. And, you know, he didn't win the popular vote. He won the electoral college. He won by like 15,000 votes in, in Michigan. I mean, that's sort of uh, yeah. Michigan, Ohio and Pennsylvania. It was like 15,000 votes would have swung it the other way. But listen, I don't know if life would have been, um, Drozzy under that under that little broad either because she, you know what does she really stand for? I mean we, we I mean I understand the free medical and I'm down with that and that's a good start for everybody, but you know, I, he, there's not a whole lot known about Hillary Clinton and I think that I think that she's um put it this way, you look at her and you look at Michelle Obama and who would you invite to dinner? Right. Yeah. No. I mean. I would, I, I would, yeah. Like Hillary Clinton is not a likable candidate, and Michelle Obama is extremely likable. So you definitely no, wouldn't. Best known, but they're both former first ladies. Yeah, for sure. You know, I and, mean, Mich yeah. Look, look, Hillary Clinton. Um, I wish she would just go away. I wish she would Me just too. go away. I do. I mean. I and I'm not not that I despise her or anything like that. I just wish that she would go away. Because you know, and I'll, let's let's talk about let's talk about uh, Pedophile Island for a minute, Jeffrey Epstein's island. Um, Bill Clinton was there. He took over 15 trips on the Lolita Express. That's what they call this this airplane, this private airplane of uh, of Mr. Epstein's. So there's no doubt that that Bill Clinton was involved with um, sex on the island. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind. I mean. It, it, I mean, I don't think it would be hard. To, I mean, w w w Bill Clinton's a sex freak. We know all. We all know he fucking he like he looks at bitches left to right. 
he had three or four girlfriends when he was governor. Okay, so and the Monica Lewinsky thing that blew up in his face, you know. That, that blew, but um, I'm not a big Bill Clinton fan, but I thought the country was on pre in pretty good hands with him. I thought the country was in good hands with Mr. Obama. Um, I think the country, like myself and 67% of the rest of the country, we think the country is headed in the wrong direction right now. Yes, yeah, cer certainly. I mean, you know, the, Obama brought a lot of, uh, like, Zach, Zach, he brought Zach, a lot Zach. of dignity to the White House. True, Zach. Let me interrupt yes. you for a second. What color is your skin? What color is the skin color of your dog? Brown, black, right? Well, it, depending on the person, they'd say brown or black, I'd say. Okay, exactly. All right. Now, do you realize there's a, there's 10,000 brown kids in fucking cages down at the border that this cocksucker, Mr. Trump, is putting cages down at the border? At least 10,000 kids are in cages. And if you, and I'm not talking about, uh, uh, when I say cages, I mean cages like a cage for a dog, a small cage. Yeah, real cages. Like, real cages, not even yeah. An exaggeration it's it's an actual no. cage you know and and if you can go on to all the atrocities i mean in charlottesville he said the nazis were really fine people i mean and then he and then yesterday of all what what audacity you know kamala harris was born here in oakland california i'll give you a kamala harris story in a minute but um she was born here in oakland california to immigrant parents i think her mother was from india and her father was from jamaica and yeah they met at uc That's berkeley right. and all that kind of yeah yeah so anyway she was born here so they asked Mr. Trump yesterday, is she qualified to be? He goes, oh, I don't think she's qualified. From what I hear, she's not qualified. Uh, based, you know, based on where she was, based on the fact that she's got immigrant parents. I swear to God, that's what he, that's, that's how he tried to push that. You know, so, um, yeah. and then when that guy asked him yesterday, for all you right-wingers out there, you Trumpers, you, 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 answer me this. When the question went to Prince Trump yesterday, um, what do you have to say to all the American people for telling lies for three and a half years? And he goes, what? He goes, yeah, he goes, how can you, what do you have to say if we are your lies and your dishonesties? And Trump just went, next question. Couldn't handle it. <laughs> Couldn't Man. handle it. I mean, these, in, in, these, in these, these, uh, these Corona's briefings, if you look on uh, rawstory.com, it shows you, he was reading the same speech three times in a row, three different days. He's reading the same speech. The man has dementia. The man has Alzheimer's. The man has issues. He drags his leg when he walks. He can't hold a glass of water with one hand. It takes two hands to get a glass of water to his mouth. This is not, this is not neurologically normal for a man. This, is, this speaks of some neurological crisis. It's, it certainly seems that way. And and as you were talking about um, what he said of Kamala Harris, his mother it was an immigrant. <laughs> Trump's his mother was no, an no, immigrant. no. His this, those visas he shut down it was the only that's the only way his, his porn star wife got over here. And you know what? That's pretty that's pretty messed up. She, she you know she does porn. She does chicks porn. She's eating yeah. chicks and she's doing guys and this and that. And she's a first lady. And none of these evangelical peoples, these no good pricks, these Christian cocksuckers in this country. None of those people said a word, but yet, but, but, you know, um, uh, Michelle Obama, you know what she does? She acts uppity. The fuck does that mean? It's, I mean, it's clear, you know, <laughs> their, their, uh, coded language is clear. Honestly, you know what it is. Yep. I mean, yeah. 
Anyway, I don't so, know how we. I don't know how we veered off. We were on the Zodiac subject <laughs> and, and Charlie Manson. Um, where you want to go? That's what happens when you're on this show. <laughs> what was the What was the craziest uh, police case that you had? Crazy, emotional, or what do you mean by crazy? I guess just like I had a baby born. I had, you I, I, I had a lady. Was I had a lady. Bri- I, I I was one morning. I saw a car on Terrible 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 Street in San Francisco. Terrible Nineteenth and Terrible. And the Chinese guy was waving his hands at me, so I pulled over the police car. I wasn't driving. Um, I was sitting shotgun. And we had the guy pull over. And he goes, my wife's having a baby. I go, yes, really? So, so she's in the back seat of her car, and her legs are open, and she's like, going to have the baby. Okay? So I didn't know what to do, so I called communications. They said it would take seven to ten minutes to get me a, um, an ambulance. Okay? And I was about five minutes away from the hospital, high-speed chase for me. So I threw her in the backseat, and we had her thrown in the backseat of my car, the police car, and we drove to the station. Her water bag broke in the backseat. That smelled nasty, bro. That was really nasty. Um, but we got her to the hospital, and she had the baby an hour later, and the press interviewed me. And, you know, that was, that was, those were good times. That was a good time. Um, I think the, the, uh, the heaviest time... I've ever had emotionally as a cop it was when I had a guy dying on me. Some say he was shot and the blood was pumping out of his chest. And when I showed up, um, he knew me and we looked at each other and, and I got down. I was trying to see like, cause every time his heartbeat, the blood came out of his chest, like, like, boom, like a little fun. Like every time his heartbeat, some oh, blood would come out. Yeah. So I put my hand over this. And, you know, and you don't you don't freak out on this stuff, Zach, until later. I mean, when you're doing this as a trained professional, you don't realize the blood. You don't realize anything until later. OK, so anyway, he's he's you know, he's dying. And, and he said he looks me up. And he goes, Pac-Man, because that was my nickname, Pac-Man, because I, I one time I packed 12 guys in the police car. Um, <laughs> so, hey, I had to had to, had to get him off the street anyway. Um. He says to me, Pac-Man, tell my kids I love them. And I, and I said, that's, yeah. That's I, tough. Yeah, and I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Guys, yeah, yeah. So, I, and, and then they take him off the hospital, and I found that he was, he was dead before he hit the hospital. I sort of knew that. So I went back to the, um, to the, uh, to my command, charge watch commander, Lieutenant Corrales, had blood, blood on the front of me and this and that. And they said, he goes, he goes yeah, he goes, um, he goes, they caught, so-and-so caught the guy. I said, whoever shot him caught him. I said, oh, that's cool, blah, blah, blah. And he said, man, there's blood all over you. I, go, I said, Greg, that was his name, Greg. I said, Greg, you know what was heavy? I said, what? I said, as he died, man, he, you know, he, he told me, he, he said, Pac-Man, go visit my kids. Tell them I love them. And, 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 I, and, and Greg, I don't know his kids. He goes, well, you're going to go upstairs right now and put on a clean uniform. He goes, I'm going to give you four hours of overtime. You're going to go out and find his kids. So I went upstairs, got dressed, uh, another dress uniform, took off the blood, blood stuff. It was 12.30, 1 o'clock at night, and I had to knock on these people's door. And I knocked on the door, and the lady opened the door. She knew 
that me being at the door at one o'clock in the morning was not going to be good news. I was not delivering a winning lottery ticket. Okay. She yeah. knew it was bad news and I told her and, and that was that. So that was, that was, that was, that was pretty emotional. I mean, I've done a lot of things, but that, that sort of seems to um, resonate with me still. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a tough one. Uh, uh, man, I can't imagine like having that, you know, but kudos to you for being able to pull through that. It's the training. Yeah. It's the training. If you adhere to the training, if you will adhere to the training, you can get through mostly everything. The bottom line is guys don't proper, aren't properly trained or they don't comprehend what they're doing or they don't remember. That makes you know? sense. Training is everything, man. Muscle memory. Were you, you more intimidated as a cop or as a boxer? I never tried to intimidate anybody as a boxer. Um, I sort of let my, my own aura, I guess that's the word I'm looking for, aura, um, speak for itself. As a policeman, I was small, five foot eight, five foot nine, 150 pounds, not a big guy. Um, but I thought I did a good job and, and they realized it when they transferred me to the community relations division of the police department. And that's where I learned how to shoot TV commercials and things like that. So that's sort of, that sort of, uh, accelerated my leaving the police department to go into the world of television and, and journalism. Wow. I, I, I honestly didn't know that. That's interesting. What do you think makes a good cop and what makes a bad cop in your, yeah. You know? I think, I think, I think a good cop has to be, to make, to be a good cop, I think you have to be abused by a bad cop. Is that right? Yeah. To feel. I, I, don't, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's okay. any other way. I don't think there's any other way to do it. In other words, have some guy pull you over and give you a ticket you did not deserve or arrest you for something you did not do. In other words, that's, that's the only way. The relatability factor, huh? Exactly. Being able to relate. If yeah. you can relate, you got to be able to relate, man. I mean, they, they take the police recruits and the police academy to the county jail and they walk through for an hour. I mean, they spend their entire lives either putting people in here or trying to keep people out of there. And they give you an hour long test. Well, it's like mental health. When in the police department, they gave us a four hour course on mental health yet. Um, probably 80% of the people you deal with, especially nowadays on the street, are mentally uh, compromised. Yeah. What's, what's the biggest uh, misconception about police? <sighs> that, they're, that they're confident, that they're um, believing themselves, for the most part, policemen I have found to be insecure, insecure men that um, got a badge and a gun. Never. That's why I told you. I told you before. I was a bad MF before I ever we ever became a policeman. I was knocking people dead in the street. I had a reputation. I didn't have to be a tough cop. I I knew who I was before I became a policeman. Um, most guys become a policeman. All of a sudden, I got a badge. Now I'm John Wayne. You know, and and. Um, that that wasn't me. That wasn't me. I, mean, I, I, I worked for the city. I worked for the people. I didn't work for um, the police department. That's a good, that's a great way to look at it. 
How do you think uh, Al Bernstein would do as a cop? He'd make a good informant, but... <laughs> you know, evidently Al's cancer has went into remission or something like that, and he's, he's back on the air, and I wish him the very best of luck. But oh, that's as I've great. Told, yeah. as, but as I've told you before, he's the most insecure piece of shit I've ever met in my life as far as in the entertainment <laughs> business is concerned. And I remember one time I told him straight up to his face, I would slap the black off his teeth. Oh, man. Man, <laughs> that's how bad. That's how bad. No, the fun because he's got funky teeth. His teeth were like nasty. I told him, I'll slap the dirt off your teeth. You know, I, I told you at that time. The what was his response? No, he didn't. He was, what's he gonna say? If he said anything, I'd have slapped him. Um, uh, yeah, but, 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 I mean, I told you we were in Oklahoma or wherever the hell we were, and we were at the bar, and these chicks were all interested in the bar. And you know, I don't play that bar. shit. I told you that I don't play chicks at the bar, I don't do that. I don't have to, okay? Yeah. He, but he has to. So this was his, oh, Al Bernstein, the celebrity, is going to get late. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, no. Yeah. Well, Pete didn't want anything to do with that. So Pete left. So when I went back to my room and smoked some weed, he called the fucking, he called the promoter on the phone and said, I'm smoking weed in my room. That's, yeah, that's so that's, lame. That's, that's a punk-ass motherfucker, whatever way he looks at it. <laughs> I'm not wishing his cancer to get bad on him, but you know what? Uh, I wouldn't mind him being in pain for the rest of his life. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bit of a dick move. <laughs> what was the What was the hardest part of being an officer? Um, I think being compassionate. I think it's really hard to do because they don't train you to do that. You're not trained to be compassionate. You're trained to do, to follow the book A A to Z and Yearly, they try to teach you in the police academy that there's only black and white when the reality of the world at large is probably about 45% to 50% gray. Yeah. Yeah. So, but with the, that's, it's either black or white. Um, hmm. I think the most difficult part of, of, um, of being a policeman in my era was there was no difficulty. People accepted you. Because you went out there and you proved yourself to them um, by not giving them a ticket, by saying hello to them, by waving to them. But when you got out of the car, you say, hey, how are you? Before they said anything, didn't make them say hello. You worked for them. And I got to be honest with you, uh, an officer has never said hello to me. <laughs> never. Well, so that, you might that, be onto that, something there. No, well, you know what? They always say hi to me. You know why? Color. Why is that? Color. In other words, ah. they'll say hi, but it's for a reason. You know, um, listen, this country was founded on racism. The White House was built on by black men working for nickels and dimes. Um, we know that. Uh 37, 35% of the country still thinks it should be all white. Let me tell you, 50% of the white people in this country voted for Donald Trump last year, last time. So that means at least 50% of the white people in this country are prejudiced, at least, at the very minimal, 50%, okay? It, the people we see on Fox TV, those are only the, 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 uh, the bold ones, per se. They come out and, and pound on their chest and this kind of stuff, you know? Um, but I, I, I think that I think that based on my experience in life, that we're headed for some type of catastrophe within the election. And what I mean by that is, I mean that um, 
Donald Trump is not going to go easily. He's not going to go quietly. I think that he will get trounced in the numbers. I don't think the numbers even come close to him being competitive this time. At least it doesn't look that way. Um, and then, in, in, in yeah, the course, I think so. Yeah, and, and but in, but but in the course of of, of the worst pandemic in in, in the country, and you know they say it's the the 1918 flu was worse. How could it be worse if it was 110 years ago, or 102 years ago? We're talking about right now. Yeah, yeah. There's you know, no way to measure that. Exactly. I don't you know, I mean, more people died or less people died don't matter. What are we going through now? You know, and I mean, it's funny. I live here in San Francisco. I just left Chinatown earlier today. And uh, all the Chinese people, they're down with the masks. The Latinos, they ain't so down with the masks. They half-ass, half-ass in the Latino neighborhoods. The white people, they're down with the masks, except for the adamant white people. You know, the Fox viewers, these Tucker Carlson <laughs> assholes. You it's know? funny how Pardon? that works, huh? Like, it's like a political... It's funny how that works, how the masks are like a political thing. Yeah, I mean... And you know what? Let's be honest. You know, most of the American, most of the American people should really embrace this mask thing. You know why? Why? Because they're fucking ugly. <laughs> I didn't mask, expect that to be the reason. But <laughs> a mask is an improvement for a lot of people. I try to tell them, hey, your mask looks good. They go, yes. Yeah. They don't understand what I'm trying to say. You look better with the mask. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it gives uh, an aura of mystery, doesn't it? Nah, you know, I was in the <laughs> land of Burk- I was in the land of burkas in Dubai, and um, they have two types of burkas in Dubai. They have the standard burka, and then they have Victoria's Secrets burka. I ain't bullshitting either. It's a Victoria's Secrets burka. It's a bat. It's it's sort of sexy a little bit. I mean, it's cool. You just know it. So there's two types of burkas. There's a Victoria's Secrets burka for the fine young Dubai women, and then there's the the burkas for the rest of them. <laughs> I I didn't know that they had the different ones. No, well, no, they're not different. They're style different. They're a little, little different style. In other words, the old burka was just a mask, a cloth mask, right? Well, these burkas, these broads yeah. are wearing over there, look like underwear. You know, what I mean, you hear where I'm coming from. You know, the um, the material. Yeah. It's like a yeah. silky, silky. Yeah, material. like a, like so. Yeah, exactly, exactly, like so. Thing, you know. I want. Yeah. I'm all. I'm. And and funny thing about Dubai was that the only ones not wearing the the uh, the burkas were the hookers and the non citizens. Oh wow, that's yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah, I did, yeah. You didn't. You, 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 in certain places you go around the world, you get laid. Dubai had all kinds of hookers to get laid, but you weren't going to screw anybody. Any natives? Yeah, it's probably it's uh probably Russians, a- Russians, Colombians, Mexicans, uh, Lithuanians. You, I mean, all kinds of hookers over there, but you know, none, none, n- no natives. Interesting. So, how often did you use your boxing skills on the force? Um. One night I was working in the police station. One, one night I was working in the police station, and I, I heard I heard a horn honking outside. I was working indoors, um, and I didn't have a gun. I had I had put my gun in the drawer because I was working indoors, you know, answering the phone and taking police reports at the da- at the front door. So this bus was honking his horn. I looked out the window of the bus, and these four black guys are beating up the bus driver. So I yelled to Code Thirty Three on the radio and said that I'm leaving the station and I'm going after these guys on foot. So I chased them a block. 
I beat the shit out of all four of them, put them in the hospital. All four of them, they needed medical attention. Um, so then <laughs> I, took them, I took them to Youth Guidance Center, and they were all handcuffed. And the, and the lady told me, you're treating them like animals, unhandcuffed them. And I said, no, no, no. I said, they'll be hung handcuffed as long as I'm here. She goes, well, I, I'm not going to give you back your handcuffs. I said, then I'll come pick them up tomorrow. I said, but I'm not unhandcuffing these guys. These guys are bad news. And the lady says to me, she, and she goes, well, we'll take care of it because, you know, handcuffs are standard keys, okay? So anyway, I leave, uh, and I get back to the station. I hear a code 33 called the youth guidance center. Those five guys put 18 people in the hospital. Oh, wow. Four so guys. They... Yeah, mm. yeah. So the, lady, so the lady was dead wrong. Um, another time I was leaving for trail station, and I was going to get gas on my motorcycle circa 1983, I guess. And I stopped at the gas station to get gas. And these black guys had a credit card that was no good, and they couldn't get any gas in front of me. And the guy kept telling them, no gas, no gas. The card comes back. It was no good. So these black guys says to me, what the fuck is your pot? I said, I just want to get some gas to get out of here, man. He said, you know, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, I ended up beating the shit out of all three of these dudes. I mean, knocking them down like multiple, multiple knockdowns. They called the cops. The cops came. I was cleaning the house on these three dudes. I ended up spending uh, four or five, make a week on disability because my hands were all swollen up. And I got a captain's commendation. So, so, so it actually did. I didn't know how often it would actually happen, but you actually did have to use hand to hand combat. <laughs> um, on occasion, yeah, on occasion. I mean, um, you have to, you have to apply force when it's when it's necessary. Um, I was never a guy that went in. Some cops have to apply force to begin with in order to assort their assort their. Uh, their dominance or their presence or anything like that. I just, I don't, I never felt that way, you know, cause I, um, like I said, I, I was, I was a bad dude before I became a policeman. I don't think too many of my other policemen guys can say that. Yeah. Not too many of them are, are probably going hand to hand. No. And, and that's what happens is exactly. And there's another thing. People are being shot now for, for, for nothing. You're getting an altercation with policemen getting shot. Listen, if you get into a fight with a guy and, and, and the fight breaks up and he runs away, you don't shoot him in the back. It, it, fuck it, man. Yeah. I mean, he, he, listen, there are times when a guy's going to get away. Oh, man, he got a motherfucker burn me. He got away. Oh, man. You know, so what? It messes with your ego a little bit. Are you going to shoot him in the back? No, that's, I mean, it's definitely not justified, you know? No, it's not just, it's not legal. See, it's justified because these guys can continue to get away with it. How can you say it's not justified when these guys continue to get away with it? When, when that, that chick that was killed on that no walk, no, no knock warrant, they went in their house, six cops shot her. She never had a gun or nothing. Nobody's been arrested. Are you talking What's about Brianna Taylor? Brianna Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's horrible. She, they killed her in her sleep. She wasn't even exactly. Awake. And here's yeah. what's up. She was and she was laying there dead for. Uh, she was laying there alive for a half hour. They never called medical attention. Never bothered. You know why, Jack? You know why, Don? You know what happened once they shot her and realized? You know what they were doing from that point forward? Trying to cover that's, up for themselves. That's what it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Well, hopefully they can arrest the her murderers. I don't think it's going to happen. I, listen, listen. I'm going to run something by you, okay? This is a white man's country. You have a, you have a daughter that's of color. You're going to be challenged by yeah. this white man's You're going to be challenged by this white man's country time and time and time again because of her, okay? You're going to be able to 
you're going to be exposed to things that the average white guy doesn't get exposed to. And you're going to say to yourself, at the end, at some point in time, you can say to yourself, man, I can't believe people were this racist. But they are. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I crack jokes a lot. And I did some stand-up for a while. But I crack jokes a lot. And if I crack an ethnic joke or in, in, a, in, a community, in, in a group where the ethnicity I'm not joking on is there, I look to see the attitude of the people involved. To see, what, I mean, yeah. what I mean by that is I'll say something like, i say, man, could you believe how lazy that brother is? All niggas are lazy, man. What are you talking about? You hear what I'm saying? I mean, whoa. You know, so yeah, that's yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah but, but so you could, but you can tell where people come from, man. I mean, um, I can't remember that Maya D'Angelo, the, the the great prophet. I can't remember her, her exact words were, um, "Believe what people show you, believe who they are. They yeah. are who they, they are who they are." You know, no, it's a good point. So anyway, that is. In, in the world, in the world at large, right now, okay, we are in 2020. We are going through the worst pan, pandemic in 102 years, at least, maybe, maybe worse than 102 years ago. And we live in a country that's totally divided because of the fact that we've got this snake oil salesman in the White House. I mean, do you think? I mean, even the white—I swear to God—even the white people, those stupid, toothless Hanks, listen to the show that live in. Arizona and Kentucky and all places like that, you know the ones where you don't brush your tooth, not your teeth. Um, but even they would realize, you know, even they would realize that that they have to realize that the world's not going in the right direction. It's not. I mean, it's it's really not. I mean, you know, the 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 pandemic thing. They were willing to let it go for a while because they thought it was only going to be in blue states. Can you believe that? They thought it was. They thought that. That the virus was going to stop at the Georgia border. That's what they did. That's, that's what they did. That's what they thought. It was going to stop at the borders. Okay. Um, he's never, the president has never addressed it. Um, there should be a national mask law in this country. I don't mean a mandate. I mean a mother, I mean a law. You take that, man, you take that motherfucker off in public, man, put it back on. Because, and I'll say, uh, yeah, that, I mean, I, I definitely, but, but Zach, if we all put on the mask for a month, we could wipe out the virus. Totally. If everybody wore a mask for a month, we would wipe out the virus because we'd find out who was sick amongst those people and we'd put them off in the hospital and we'd quarantine the people that were around them and then we'd have it under control. Yeah, I mean, I, I wear I wear a mask whenever I'm out somewhere. So Well, you that's know. because of your looks. I told you, but you like when the chicks were learning. <laughs> Nah, I'm just kidding. You know, I, no, I understand, but you know, um, did I t- did I tell you about the Guadalajara and Delanoche thing? Did I mention that with the taco joint with no, the mask I don't think guy? So. All right, a couple weeks ago, I'm in a place called Taqueria Guadalajara. It's on Onondaga Mission in the Excelsior District of San Francisco. So I'm wearing long sleeve shirts. If I wore short sleeve shirts, you could see that I was pretty cut up, pretty good. But if I wore long sleeve shirts, I just look like some skinny old man. So. I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt. I ordered my food and some kid sneezed in the restaurant. It was a to-go thing. And she sneezed and she didn't have a mask on. So I said to her father, I said, don't you think for the safety of everybody, including your daughter, that she should have a mask? So he came over and he got right in my face, nose to nose. So I had to back him off. 
You know, hey, back off, sucker, back off. So I back him off to arm's length. You know, push him away, arm's length. Got my boxer style. I'm always in the L stance because you, you, if your feet are side by side, you're in trouble. So anyway, I was in the yeah. L stance. So so he goes back, um, back across the restaurant, and I'm looking at him. He's looking at me. He goes, what are you looking at? I go, a fat guy. He comes <laughs> over. So he comes over one more time. He gets in my face. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? So anyway, backed him off, got my space, because my food hasn't come yet, Zach. My burritos to go. I'm not going over without my money, my food. So anyway, I push him away again. He goes back. So I leave the restaurant, okay? I leave the restaurant. I go outside because I don't want to deal with this clown no more. I know I'm about to pop him, and I really don't want to. The guy's about 6'2". He's about 215, 220. Um, so and it didn't look like he was in great shape. So... Uh, so I went, when I went back into the restaurant, she, the girl called me for the burrito. I went back in the restaurant to get the burrito. I grabbed the burrito with my right hand because I'm left-handed, and I wanted to make sure my left hand was free to uh, be the dominant hand if need be. So as soon as I grabbed the burrito, I see him moving. My, I'm looking at the right side of my eye. I see him moving towards me. So he backs me all the way to the door of the, uh, of the restaurant. He backs me all the way to the door. Now I've got my breed on my right hand. And as I back up, I'm trying to keep trying to assume an L stance each time. There was each anyway, to not get off balance. So he yeah. gets me at the door. He gets me at the door. I've got the breed on my right hand. He said something. He blinked, and I knocked him out fucking cold. Okay. <laughs> okay. Not I, I closed his eye. Um he was he went boom. He was out as he went to the ground. The ground the ground woke him up. His eye was swollen instantly. He had a cut under the eye. And I went over to him. And I maybe shouldn't say this on the air, but since we're on a podcast, I will. I said, let me slap you because you're a little bitch. Bang! And then I slapped. Okay? And then I slapped him, slapped him again. I said, I said that's right. Like a little bitch. Why? Bam! And slapped him again. So I slapped him twice and he left. And I left. And I didn't run away, Zach. I did not run away. I walked. <laughs> well, good for you. No, you know what I'm trying to say by that, right? No. Oh, no, yeah. No. This is, I'm not running from nothing. That's good. I'm, walk, I'm walking away. I'm not running. Yeah, okay? yeah you do. So I, I walk down the street and I hear him. He comes out of the restaurant like, mother. You know, some case. So evidently the guy didn't learn. You see? But, he, but, he made, but he made three moves on me, Zach, before I moved on. That's patience. Yeah. That is patience. Okay. Um, so outside of that, I'm not knocking out any other bums. I'm retired. <laughs> Every once in a while, you have to d- dust off the, the old fists. <laughs> don't, don't want, don't want to, but you know, you, you, if, if, listen, that was the most, people don't realize that when you're about to get in a fight, it's a stressful situation. There's all kinds of stuff going on in your mind. It's the most, you're scared, you're frightened. There's fear running through yeah. you. There's adrenaline. There's adrenaline running through you. All these different emotions at the same time. It's inc- it's an incredible um, ordeal to endure. Um, and and I always tell myself, stay calm, stay calm, stay relaxed. Watch his hands. Stay relaxed. Watch his hands. That's usually what I tell myself. Stay relaxed. Watch his hands. And then if I know that something's got to go, something's got to go. But that was the the girl in the restaurant told me she goes she goes it was just boom it was over I said yeah babe that's the way it's supposed to be she goes I was sort of she goes I was a little worried she goes he was so big <laughs> you know so he got bold 
He got bowled a couple times. He thought he could walk on me. He got knocked out. Well, that that's uh, poetic justice, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, I think so, without a doubt. I do. Anyway, how's your family? Doing well. Um, overall, you know, uh, Jasmine's going to be starting school out here. So looking forward um, to that. Are, are we well, that's funny. Are, are, are we talking virtual school? Yeah, it's going to be virtual, but I think that's for the best right now, honestly. No, bro, bro, bro. It ain't for the best. It's the only way to go. Yeah. I mean, well, let's be let's be honest, man. You want to put a bunch of petri dishes in the same in the same in the same room? If yeah, exactly. And if, <laughs> if but if she were still if she were still in Texas, she would probably be going in person. Yeah, I know. You well, know, the well, way they're talking about it over there. Well, Governor Abbott, my good friend, Governor Abbott there in Texas. You know, I mean, Tank Abbott could do a better job than this guy. <laughs> Tank Abbott. That's a name we haven't heard in a while, huh? Tank Abbott. But yeah. Um, so I think it, it's for the best, the virtual thing. And um, I have can, teaching experience. I know you do. And that's what's sort of cool is that you'll be able to work with her. Yeah, I've been. I, I don't know if I. If I mentioned I've been doing like substitute teaching for like the last couple of years, so mm-hmm. kind of prepared, you know. I had a t- I had a teaching credential. I taught school for the Milpitas uh, school district. Oh uh, yeah, I think I think I remember you telling me about yeah. that in a jail. <laughs> I taught oh, life skill life skills and physical physical education in a jail. That was an adventure. That sounds like it would be interesting. Mm-hmm. It it was. But it was the kind of job you went. You wanted to go to. You wanted to go to work. Buzz every morning because it was such a bummer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it's everybody's incarcerated, man. I mean, not, these people are in jail. Jail. I mean, it's like there's nothing worse than being in jail. I think that everybody should have to go to jail at some point in their life, just to to experience the way the feeling. Um, I got popped for growing some weed one time, and I spent two days in jail, and I got. Another traffic ticket one time. They kept me overnight in jail. And those two and a half, man, I learned more from those two and a half days than I've learned anything else in my life. You never, ever, ever want to go to jail. Never. Not a good time. No. Well, no. I mean, I guess if you're some gay guy and you have in, in, in your in, in your in your black book is empty, it's the greatest place to be. Well, yeah, maybe so. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm throwing curveballs by you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I, I don't. I'm, I can't necessarily say that I know, but I. I, I think you may have a. <laughs> you may have a point there. <laughs> exactly. What was your so anyway, favorite? Aspect of, yeah. What, what you got? One more question. Let's go with a couple more questions. We get a run. Okay. Uh, I, I was gonna ask what your favorite aspect of policing was. Being nice to people. Yeah. Yeah, just like... Just just, just interaction. Interaction. Hey, I mean, you know, I stop, I, I could stop the police car and, 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 and get out of my car and, and, and leave the keys in the ignition or do something stupid and run away. And there were people that made sure my car wasn't stolen. I mean, it was stupid for me to jump oh, out of the car without the keys and this kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? But you're under stress, shit happens. You're grabbing a shotgun and you're running. And I just, I, I really respected the people that, that I worked for. And I don't mean the police department. I mean the citizens of San Francisco. 
that's great. I mean, that's how it should be, you know. How is was oh, so um, were you doing ring talk while you were a cop, or was that after ring ring, ring talk started in '84 and with Charles J and I was a cop then. Okay, so that's actually when you started. Okay, uh-huh. interesting. Um, who, who were your who have been like your best and worst guests on Ring Talk? <laughs> Layla Lee was probably one of my worst guests. Um, she got smart with me, and she said, "She." I said, "Oh, Layla, we're on the phone with Layla Lee, and a very good evening to you, young lady." It was like eight fifteen. She goes, "You know." It's- past my bedtime normally staying up to do this. I said, well you can go to bed right now. We don't have to talk. She was out oh. and she started she, and she started backtracking, okay? I said and then I, and then I started getting pissed off. I said, no 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 you don't worry. No, no, you you go back to sleep. You go you go miss, miss you go back to sleep. Everything's okay. And she's like begging me, no, no, I'm here already. Bitch. <laughs> um uh, <laughs> yeah I thought she was I thought Alexis Arguello um, him telling me that he wanted to die on the radio, I thought that was pretty tough because he would end up dying suspiciously a couple of years later. Um, uh, I liked, I, I, I sort of liked it. When we were at the International Hall of Fame, I did a show with Angelo Dundee and I called his wife the wrong name through the entire show and he, he never he never corrected me. Um, so, yeah. Polite. <laughs> he, he, was, he, was, he was a wonderful man. He wasn't a great trainer. He was a good motivator. He was a good con man, a good corner man, but he wasn't a, a, uh, some scientific trainer or anything like that. I think that, I think that's um, that's folklore. He wasn't an X's and O's coach in, in that no, way. No, I'm not trying to He's say kinda... no, no. But he was a fundamental fundamental boxing trainer. He knew the fundamentals. I'm not saying he didn't. His brother Chris was a promoter or the manager, and. Um, and they handle fighters in in uh, in Florida, in Miami, at the Fifth Street Gym. Uh, no, I, I'm not knocking Angelo or anything like that. I just don't. I just I never saw Angelo take anything. I never saw Angelo turn bronze to gold. You know yeah. what I mean by that? In other words, no, yeah, I get, I get that. Like you, he didn't um, enhance people or like make people better, right? I, I I don't know if he did. What I'm trying to say is, I just don't know if he did or not. I mean, I mean, I mean, what, what, I mean, do you really think that 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 he showed Ray Leonard too much, or did he show Ali too much? Fuck no. You yeah, know, those, those guys, guys are, were going to be yeah, great regardless. They're naturals. I think you know. Yeah. Um, so. But I but I in in, in I don't know. I'm not trying to knock him. I'm just trying to say is I never saw him. Like, like develop anybody. I mean, he developed Jose Torres through the light heavyweight championship at one point in the fifties, I think. But you know, big deal. His brother was a promoter. Yeah. How long do you How long do you plan on doing Ring Talk? Um, right now, it's one hundred and eighty minutes a week. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know. Maybe when if Scott Teddy retires next year, maybe I'll retire. I don't know. I. I Ah it's well, not, it, it's hope... not, it, it, we're not making any money on this anymore, man. Those money days are long gone. Um, that's just the way it is, you know. I mean, I at one point in time, I, at one point in time, I was making a hundred thousand dollars a year doing two hours of radio a week. That's great. No, that's not great. That's pimp. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. that's the pimp. That's the pimp lifestyle. 
If you can think about think about that, you work a hundred and four hours a year, and you get a hundred thousand dollars. Basically, a thousand dollars an hour. <laughs> exactly. That's a, that's a that's a good setup. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, I know hookers that would be jealous of that kind of money. Who are your influences as far as broadcasting is concerned? Um, Jim, um, 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 Barry Tompkins, because he was a teenage guy at a city college here in San Francisco, went on to work for Showtime and HBO and everything else. Barry Tompkins was an early influence. Um, Van Amberg, and I think Van died a few months ago. He might still be on. Van Amberg was the ABC television guy up here. I respected him. Um, hmm. Walt Harris was a guy that did roller derby and wrestling, and he was also a uh, he was also a uh, worked for the station. But I thought he was one of the greatest announcers I've ever met in my life. Uh, you know, I, I met some nice, some good people over the, over the years, and been some bad people as well. Uh, I think you tend to remember the bad experiences better than you do the good experiences. Maybe that's just my negative mind or my semi-depressed mind or whatever it is, but I, I you know because I, re, I remember the losses as far as I know. I lost 14 times as a boxer. I won 38 times. Um, I won six championships at least, maybe seven if you want to count this other Mickey Mouse title. Um, of all them title fights, I don't remember as well as the ones where I got my ass whooped. Really? So no, no. Wow. I mean, you, but but no, you won no. more than you lost. Doesn't uh, matter. Still, you still remember the. You still remember. You know. You still remember. I mean, I lost my first championship fight to a guy. They took away two points from me because I was kicking the shit out of him, beating his fucking ass, and they didn't want to give me the championship. I beat. The, I I knocked the guy out before, in twelve seconds. They said it was nineteen. The first night, I knocked the favorite out of the tournament in nineteen seconds, and and, they, and it was supposed to be twelve seconds, but they were talking to him in the corner. They were like, we can't believe you got knocked out. Are you okay? You're supposed to win this fight. What are you doing? None. Anyway, so he gets, Armand, whatever his <laughs> name was, gets, he gets knocked out. So then the next night they put me in with Mike Christie, who I was still on Facebook with me, and they took away two points, and the fight was even after three rounds after they took away two points from me. So in other words, they weren't going to give me the fight. So you would have been way up. No, I, yeah, would have yeah. yeah, been way up. So they... um. They it was asked, they can't go to a can't be a draw in an amateur fight, so they, they go to even scorecards. Once you go to an even scorecard, they have to pick a winner. So you know, three people pick the other guy and two people pick me. Mike Christie was a split won a split decision, um, a three two split decision for the Golden Glove title. I think he retired after that. I don't think he ever fought again. Um uh, I know he never won any more championships. And like he said, I was damn lucky to be too, he said one day. I said, damn lucky egg. Oh, and the referee told me in 1999 that they told him that I wasn't supposed to win. That if I did anything wrong, to, 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 to penalize me. So the fix was in. Oh, Marty, wow. Sam, Marty Salmon told me that in, um, in Malaga, Spain in 1999. Drunk. I got him drunk, and he told me. That's crazy. Yep. That's what that's, you know, so, how they say, I'll say spit happens and spit with an H. <laughs> yeah well i think you know i was thinking about it. i think we would make a great uh color commentary team yeah 
Like, I've always thought, I've always thought that, and you know, I, I I reached out to this. I thought Johnny Sig would be a good partner too. I reached out to um the Zone. I reached out to Tony Holden of the Zone. I said, give me give me a shot. I'll bring my own team. I'll bring my own team. Hey, if you know, I'd I'd be happy to do it. I think that would be great. It would be fun. And well, it's, we, it'd be, it would be work at first. Well, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it'd be work at first. But no, I reached out to Tony Holden when he told me he would be interested. I said, well, I, I said I could put a crew together. Um, I because I could I could do it all. I'm not bragging. I can do the blow by blow. I can do the I can do the scoring. I can do the uh, the expert anal- analysis. All three, if need be. I used to do yeah. HBO. Inter- I used to do the HBO International broadcast by myself. The David Tua, um, IKB Abushi fight, I broadcast all by myself. Uh, yeah, and that's one of the great fights of all time, huh? Heavyweight. Yep. <laughs> yeah, without a, yeah. Doubt, without, without a doubt. Anyway, Zachary, much love to you. It's always great to appear on your show, man. It's really it's an honor that you would call me. And in, in any time that you need me, I'm here for you, man, because I think that you're a great guy and you're a great father and you've grown into those roles and I was really worried about you a couple of years ago. I used to give you a lot of heat on the phone regarding the kid and things like that. Remember? Yeah, I remember. Yeah. So, and, and it's all panned out and it seems like you were listening. So I'm very happy for you, well, th- for Jasmine. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate that. And the honor is all mine. I really appreciate you coming on and um, it's always a pleasure. So, Until next time, Zach Attack, Pedro Fernandez is out of here. (laughs) Good enough. (laughs) Thank you. KZRO Sports, welcome to the primetime, bitch. I don't know why I did that, but anyway, KZRO Sports, uh, UFC 252 from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada, Nevada, whatever you want to call it. I usually say Nevada. I decided to switch it up and say Nevada. UFC heavyweight 265 champ Stipe Miocic improved to 20-3 and with a unanimous decision over Daniel Cormier, who fell to 22-3. and um, so Stipe leads the trilogy now two to one, but will they be more? I don't know. I mean, Cormier definitely seems like he wants to retire and, you know, he's getting older and I, I feel like this might be the end, but it was a competitive fight. And, uh, it seems like there could, there could be like another fight or and if there is another fight and let's say Cormier wins then there'd have to be a fifth fight right but I don't really see that happening I think this is probably the end uh both had good performances but Stipe got the win so and then in the co-main event the there was an upset uh Marlon Vera bantamweight that's 135 he scored a TKO one over Sean O'Malley and took Sean O'Malley's O in the process. So O'Malley fell to two to, to 12 and one and very improved to 16, six and one, but O'Malley injured his knee in during a slip. And after that, his leg kind of gave out and then he was taking shots on the ground. And that was kind of the end of the fight. And, um, 
it's a it's an unfortunate kind of anticlimactic uh, ending to a fight, but it officially goes down as a loss for O'Malley. So we'll see how he can recover from that. Uh, yeah, and then on another the other noteworthy fight on the card, I would say heavyweight Jarzinho Rosenstruck. <laughs> I have no idea if I said that right. Improved to eleven and one with a TKO in two over former champ junior dos santos who fell to 21 and 8 and man junior dos santos is getting long in the tooth uh he, he has eight losses now and six of them are by knockout uh, it's just i don't know i mean to his credit he keeps going out there he keeps finding ways to win but at the same time it's like man this is not <laughs> it just seems like it's he's taking too much punishment at this stage and i just want i want these guys to be okay i don't want it to be like where they're not going to be okay so hopefully Junior Dos Santos can get out while he still has all his faculties. The NBA playoffs are set, so looking forward to that. It's going to be Lakers, Blazers in the first round and Clippers, Mavs in the first round. And, you know, I mostly talk about L.A. teams, so those are the teams that are in it. <laughs> I'll read a full list of the teams in a second. Uh, Damian Lillard is playing like an MVP so that's going to be a concern for the Lakers who don't have necessarily the best backcourt, especially with Avery Bradley gone now. So it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be, I, I think that series could be tough for the Lakers, but the Blazers also don't have anyone to match up to LeBron and AD. So I think that'll more than balance it out, but it is going to be a tough series, you know, and CJ McCollum is injured for the Blazers. They say he has a fracture in his back. So, um, I don't expect him to be at 100%, and the Blazers need him to be at 100% to beat the Lakers. So I feel like the Lakers are going to take that one, but we will see. The poor Suns, man. The poor Suns went 8-0 in the bubble and still did not make the playoffs. You know, They, they ended up getting beat for the eighth seed by uh, the Trail Blazers. So unfortunate for the Suns. The, the Suns were, went 34-39 and 39 over the season. The trailblazers went 35 and 39 so literally a half game separated them and the blazers got to play another game there's a playing game with the grizzlies that they had so sad for the suns but i mean they probably should have done better during the rest of the year but at the same time you know successful bubble trip for them it does suck that you could win all the games and still not make it but hey you know it's just one of those unfortunate things so the playoff teams in the Western Conference are the Lakers at number one, Clippers at number two, Nuggets at number three, Rockets at number four, Thunder at number five, Jazz at number six, Mavericks at number seven, and the Blazers at number eight. And on the Eastern side, the Bucks are the one seed, the Raptors two, Celtics three, Pacers four, Heat five, Sixers six, <laughs> the Nets seven, and the Magic eight. So the home team, Magic, made it to the final playoff spot. Now, it's kind of funny. That, that Technically, they're playing in Orlando, but, I mean, they're not playing at the Magic's arena. I don't even know. I'm just going to be honest. I don't know what the Magic's arena is called. It's not one of the most relevant NBA teams in the world, so I don't. I, I have no idea what, what team they play at. So... <laughs> Uh, we will, you know, it's uh, we, we got all the teams set up, so we'll see how the this playoffs goes. I personally think that the this bubble playoffs is going to really test these teams, and we're going to really see like the best champion. 
you know, because there's not any home crowd advantage or anything like that. So it's just really about like who plays the best at the time. So, yeah, um, looking forward to seeing how it plays out. The Dodgers at 15 and seven top the NL West. They're on a four game winning streak. And probably the most encouraging sign for them is they have a plus 55 run differential, which is the best in the MLB. So the Dodgers are, are getting it together. I mean, they started well. It's just some teams started really hot, and now it's kind of settling down. And they have, you know, they're not in the toughest division in the world. So it looks like a good year for the Dodgers. I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out as well. And this was KZRO Sports. And now let us read from the book of Grav. I wonder if I'll go to heaven. I wonder if I'll show my brethren. I wonder what will happen then. I wonder when will the magic end. I can't tell you what the truth is. All I know is I've been ruthless. This is so hard to see. They don't want no parts of me. But I still show up uninvited. I'm the only one delighted. Oh well, this is the instances. They should have known what the sentence is. Yeah, I keep it so serious. They don't even get near me, sis. I pull up new dimensions. All my knives slice right through the tension. So tell me, what is the end of the afterlife? Tell me, can you get your laughter right? I know that doesn't make any sense. But this is when Zenny wins. So tell me, what is the end of the afterlife? Tell me, can you get your laughter right? I know that doesn't make any sense. But this is when Zenny wins. That is our show. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I always appreciate it. Uh, Make sure you don't let anyone cut your meat. Not even Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Make sure they don't don't get the chance to cut your meat. Uh, But yeah, thanks. Thank you for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And, you know, we do these every Monday. I I mean, I'm going to try to keep that up. We've kept it up real well so far, and I don't I don't really see an end in sight, but we'll have to see. <laughs> I'm looking forward to many new shows and many new guests. I already have like some whole other ones planned out, but I've been, you know, I had a guest that canceled and I've been trying to get them back on, but it hasn't coordinated well, but <laughs> well, hopefully we can get that going. And I think I'll have my this producer on eventually once we get more into this album process. Because I have just not been in a state to make beats. Like I haven't felt that like that type of fire. Like clearly I'm writing all the time because I share these verses for you every week. And it's, it's almost always a verse that I wrote that week because I write them every day and I just pick one try to pick the least depressing one of the bunch so i know that, that that's kind of sad that was the least depressing that shit wasn't even necessarily not depressing but uh <laughs> you know i try to share i try to share some positivity with with y'all and i appreciate everybody tuning in um looking forward to getting this process started of like this next project and um still reflecting on the past music and that's why i'm gonna end the show with a 
another selection from the album 11. This one's called Quadrant Star Phase, and it's a bit more triumphant. So let's go out on a high note, you know. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Thank you for entering Dimension 11. And until next time, peace. Welcome to our garden of Eden, a place free of whackness and hip hop heathens. Light years away from suffering, SPSC in the cut again. Welcome to our garden of Eden, a place free of whackness and hip hop heathens. Light years away from suffering, SPSC in the cut again. Hello, good world. We came with the star phase to conquer your planet. No need for hostile ways. Just an odd sound system. Open your vision. Stylize the product and school them like a fitter. Cold academics, paranormal paramedics, keeping you alive. Supernova anesthetics, you candy rappers, diabetics. Our tech leads to sweat. When our ship touched the ground, it got shook by a present. We're from a different section, but we claim the world. No need for alarm. We'll make it full circle. A halo to purify the solar system. Destroy the flood of targets is my mission It's been prophesized, reading in the stars Reach as we pass, we're not that far off If you a new listener, then we'll be falling short We'll hit your world next and expand a quadrant more Welcome to our garden of Eden A place free of whackness and hip-hop heathens Light years away from suffering SPSC in the cut again Welcome to our Garden of Eden, a place free of whackness and hip-hop heathens, light years away from suffering, SPSC in the cut again. Ah, we finally made it, ascended to the heavens with the lines we created, got accomplices demolishing competition, abolish the lack of polish with bomb precision, mess other artists up with this rhyming thing, wear them out with flawless cuts like diamond rings, so protect your neck, keep that vest zone up, don't throw the west up, you make the west throw up, you're getting effed up by my lyrical mastery, I'm blasting these shots causing tragedies, me and Syl always hold it down like gravity, and stay above the bullshit, living lavishly It's a masterpiece, once my quill strikes papyrus My rhyme's always above your heads like the sky is Am I the flyest? Yes, no denying it Zooming past you, on that rocket flying shit I'ma black out like where the sun go Cause I got 93 million, 5,000 flows And here's one more, what, one more One more, what, one more Welcome to our garden of Eden, a place free of whackness and hip-hop heathens. Light years away from suffering, SPSC in the cut again. Welcome to our garden of Eden, a place free of whackness and hip-hop heathens. Light years away from suffering, SPSC in the cut again.